Hello and welcome to the TCT podcast. I am Deputy Group Editor Laura Griffiths and in this episode we bring you a discussion on additive manufacturing and smart factories. The talk comes from a recent 3D Talk panel session and international event series created by Women in 3D Printing and Scient, which took place at this year's TCT show. Our panellists were Stephanie De Palma, AdWorks Lead Engineer at GE Additive, Katie Milne, Chief Engineer for Drama at the Manufacturing Technology Centre, and Regan Holt, Powder Life Apprentice at LPW Technology. We were also joined by co-moderator Kadeen James, 3D Tech Lead at Hobbs 3D, and London Ambassador for Women in 3D Printing. Hear what our panellists had to say about trends such as robotics, virtual factory floors, and connectivity and their impact on the future of manufacturing. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to 3D Talk. Um, for those of you who don't know, 3D Talk is an event series which is founded by Women in 3D Printing and also Scient, um, designed to bring together female leaders in the industry to discuss um, current topics in additive manufacturing. Um, so on today's panel we're going to talk about 3D printing um, in smart factories. The fact of the future is something that uh, many in the industry are gearing up towards. We've all seen examples of virtual factory floors, robotics, modular machines, virtual reality. Um, but how far away are we from that becoming a reality and what does the current vision of the factory of the future actually look like? Um, so just first of all, um, I've got a co-moderator here, Kadeen James from Hobbs 3D. And Kadeen is also the, um, the chair, the leader of Women in 3D Printing for London. So can you just explain a little bit about what Women in 3D Printing is? Right. Hi everybody, my name is Kadeen James. I'm the 3D tech lead at Hobbs 3D. Um, for those of you that don't know Hobbs 3D, we're the largest 3D printing bureau in the UK. We've got studios in Manchester, in Bristol, in Birmingham, and in Glasgow. Um, I'm based over at the Olympic Park at Here East. I also head up the UK chapter of Women in 3D Printing, which is a global network of women working in additive manufacturing and rapid prototyping. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here today in such incredible company. I'm really looking forward to the debate and wider conversations that we're gonna have around smart factories and the future of, of rapid prototyping. Thank you. So science is focused on fostering creativity and learning through art and technology. And one of science goals is to make 3D printing and 3D modeling uh, much more accessible. Um, and one of the ways they're doing that is through um, an app that they've built, which is basically making it easier for children to 3D model and then 3D print. Um, so just to introduce our wonderful speakers then. First of all, we have Katie Milne. Katie's the chief engineer for um, the drama project at the MTC. And next we have Regan Holt. She is a Powered Life apprentice at LPW Technology. And finally, we have Stephanie De Palma, um, who works for GE Additive and is uh, one of the AdWorks lead engineers. Great, so we'll get straight into the questions. Um, we are gonna have some time at the end if you've got any of your own questions to ask. So just um, please stick your hand up at the end and we'll come find you with the microphone. Um, so, Kadeen, do you want to kick things off? I'd be delighted to, thank you. So, to start with, Katie, I'm going to ask you this one. Um, what does the concept of a smart factory mean to you and your current work? And can you give us a bit of a, an overview on how AM fits into the vision of a smart factory? Okay, so I was having a chat. So, uh, the project that I'm running is called Drama, and the D in Drama is for digital. Um, and we're building a facility at the UK's National Centre where we hope that supply chain companies will be able to come and use the machines themselves because at the moment at the National Centre we, we use the machines and, and so they can't, don't have so much opportunity to learn. Um, so the facility will be there 
for supply chains to use, but the D in drama stands for digital, and we want to make the facility just slightly challenging in terms of like how, how advanced it is in terms of digitization. Um, additive is a digitally driven process. You start with a CAD model. It's a bit weird to have that digitally driven process and then to go back to kind of paper-based technology, you know, just paper along with root cards. So if you're adopting additive manufacturing, why not also adopt and digitize your processes at the same time? Um, but digitization and getting rid of paper is one thing, which I think makes sense to a lot of us, but smart to me means that as you um, develop your process or run your process, you are learning something. It's not smart if you're not learning. And what I think is really interesting is how we can take that data once it's digitized and use that to learn. Can you tell me a bit about some of the challenges that you've had? Um, so in terms of digitization, we've got challenges around the equipment providers. Sorry, GE Addison. <laughs> not, not you specifically, but equipment providers making their um, data available from the machines, um, so standardization. We've got a problem that whilst additive is a digital process, the other processes in the process chain aren't necessarily so digital, so like um, heat treatment or support removal. It's hard to, to apply sensors to those processes, and so how do you truly get that kind of like end-to-end -end digital data? Um, and what else? So, uh, yeah, and so standardization as well. How do you get data that is of the same standard, not just of the additive process, but end to end? And how do you make sure that that can be passed to, to the right place at the right time? So. And Regan, you pretty much work in what I, I kind of think is, is a, a very modern smart factory right now. Can you talk about um, just sort of how LPW is using smart, smart factory features currently? Yes, yeah, so LPW's just moved to a new building in Widnes. So a smart factory is our everyday, really. We've got um, things called smart hoppers. So the smart hoppers have a powder ion, which track the moisture of the powder and the oxygen content. So we can track the life of the powder. And Stephanie, what about you? So I think one of the things that I love about the concept of the smart factory is it, the building block of it is really digital enabled. And that marries so well with additive because as Katie was saying, it starts from a digital CAD file and everything throughout the entire process can be digital. And if it's digital, that means it can be easily tracked. If it's easily tracked, that means that data can somehow be analyzed and quantified to somehow make our processes smarter. I think we're in the forefront of that kind of technology and those kinds of factories. And one of the challenges I think we have on the machine side is being able to make our machines uh, fast enough, essentially, and smart enough to keep up with the vision because the vision is expanding so rapidly and the expectations are coming on so fast um, that we're just working really hard to make sure that we're, we're keeping pace with the vision of what the smart factory would be. Stephanie, this question's for you. How do we go about identifying additive applications that are the right fit for the smart factory? So as part of the AdWorks team, what we do is we go and work with customers and help them do just that, identify additive applications. And there's lots of strategies of how you can do that. But to be in a smart factory, it really needs to be something that is more than a prototype. It has to be true added manufacturing, ready for some type of production. 
that has all that data and collection that you can use to make your product better. Lots of good ways to identify uh, candidates for AM. Think about what challenges do you have within your business and how would additive benefit from that or be able to solve that challenge? Are you meeting a critical weight requirement and can you produce something lighter with additive? Are you having containment issues? Maybe you have high stress concentrations or leakage points. Printing something as a single monolithic structure is a great candidate for additive and then being able to scan that, scale that up into a true manufacturing environment prime time for a smart factory. And your role sounds absolutely fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit more about the day-to-day -day for you at work and, and what the key roles are? So my day-to-day -day work is different every single day. So I work with customers of all different industries and sometimes I'm working with the same customer for three months. Other times I'm working with different customers every single day. A lot of what we've been focused on um, has been more of the training and identification part of, of the additive industry, trying to get as many adopters as we can into the technology. So day-to-day, -day, lots of phone calls with different customers, lots of talking about what is additive technology, how can it be used in my industry, how can it benefit me, who is GE Additive, how are we different from the other GE businesses, um, does GE Additive even make machines? Um, that's, that's a lot of my day-to-day. And Katie, the, the UK, um, for the MTC, the, it's the UK's National Centre for Additive Manufacturing, works on many different additive manufacturing projects. How does the MTC go, go about identifying which of these applications are actually suitable for additive manufacturing? Well, I suppose we're in quite a lucky position in that um, we work a lot with industry. And from when we started, the demand for our capability and our skilled staff has been so high that people have been coming to us with applications. So we work a lot with the medical sector, massive amount with the aerospace sector, and they're really driving the decisions about what to focus on. Um, but we do have a new product, which um, our design team have led, and it's probably similar to the type of thing that Stephanie does, where um, we go and we support uh, companies in terms of looking at their existing product portfolio and also their existing skills you know so they might have a big capability around CNC machining for example and then we say you know these these things that you currently make could be done with additive and it would have this benefit either in terms of cost at manufacturing or through the life and we'll also say, and you, could all, you should also look at these other products over there, because if you're in additive and you, you, know about, you also know about CNC machining, that's a real opportunity for you. But we're really trying to do that to help companies understand what they're getting into and de-risk adoption. Um, it's not for us about pushing additive, it's about making sure that people take kind of the right steps, I suppose. And additive manufacturing is being supplemented by lots of other emerging technologies. And I know Kadeen works alongside lots of these different technologies like virtual reality alongside 3D printing. What kind of added value do you see these other complementary technologies having? So um, I'm the, the National Center for Additive Manufacturing is part of something called the High Value Manufacturing Catapult. It's a network of centers across the UK. And they recently um, released a paper which is really good on something called the Digital Twin. Um, and the digital twin kind of brings together concepts like artificial intelligence and simulation. And in that, they identify four applications in the factory space. 
Um, one of them is process monitoring, so just collecting the data and having that digital process. One is process control, so, and that can be uh, like autonomous control, self-control of the factory, but also remote control, so that you know your uh, engineers could be on a beach but controlling the factory. Um, and one of them, the one I'm most interested in, is rapid new product introduction. So that's where, and it's highly pertinent to additive manufacturing. So how can we use the data and simulation and machine learning to really accelerate that process introduction? I was speaking to one of the earlier speakers here earlier today from EASA, Simon Waite, and he said that composites took 40 years to introduce into um, aerospace. We want that to happen for additive in much shorter time scale, so 10 years. So how can we use this digital technology to make that happen? It's exciting. So Regan, LPW recently moved to a new AM materials factory, which is very much a digital factory. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how far from being a, a seamless connection you are? Well, with the hoppers, as I was saying earlier, we can, with the load cells and the power dry, we can track the life of the power dry and we, uh, the powder, sorry, and we can be confident in the powder that we're selling and giving to other companies. So, for example, um, say a part for aerospace, if there was something to go wrong with that part, that part, then we can look at the life of the powder before the part was built, and we can also look at the life after the, the part was built and we can find out where, where, the, where it went wrong, really. Regan, I'm really um, inspired by your journey into engineering, and I was wondering if you might be able to share the story that we discussed before coming onto the panel. Tell me a bit about how you got into engineering. So my journey to engineering is a very unusual journey to engineering, I think. I started off by when I was in college, I did makeup and beauty. So I'm not your technical, like your typical engineer. And then one of my mum's friends, I am Claire Curtis Thomas, who used to be an MP, but she's now a top engineer as well, was telling me about engineering all the time. She's like, oh, I'll get into engineering. And I was like, I don't really know what engineering is, and I don't really understand it. And she was explaining it to me. And I always thought engineering was just this one thing where you put parts together and you would, and a machine would come out the other end. But I've now discovered that engineering is lots of different things and there's lots of different avenues. And it's always interesting me. Like it's always, there's always a new thing in engineering. So that's how I got here today. Can I also ask that question to Katie and Stephanie, how you, you, you ended up as engineers? Um, when I was in high school, I was on the debate team, so I was 100% positive I was going to be a lawyer. That was what I thought my career path would be. My dad had other thoughts of what would be a successful career path to, for me, so he put me through a series of career testing, and I came back strong in math and science. And I was very fortunate enough to have a wonderful chemistry teacher when I was in high school, and she really turned me on to science in chemistry in particular, so much so that I completely lost interest with being a lawyer, which it turns out I'm absolute rubbish at the English language, so it wouldn't have been a good fit anyway. 
Um, but that's really how I started off getting interested into science. When I started uh, college, I went to Ohio State University. I started off as a chemistry major, but very quickly learned that I very much enjoyed the problem solving and the day-to-day -day challenges of an engineer, so I switched to chemical engineering. And Katie? Yeah, so can I just say, Reagan, that is about the most exciting thing I've heard in a decade, because um, I am desperate for women from, like, non-geek backgrounds, I suppose, to begin to consider engineering, so yay. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I am a geek. Um, I, so I, I went to things like space school when I was at school and was just fascinated by how things worked. But I was also like good at art and I was looking at a product design degree um, and that was what I was looking at at university. So I went to uh, interviews on product design at Glasgow, but I was also going to mechanical engineering interviews. And when I went, I thought mechanical engineering is actually a lot harder and it's a lot more like gentle, like I can go more places with it. And so that's sort of how I, how I ended up in engineering. Sticking with you, Katie, and back onto the, to the smart factory. You were talking earlier about, about drama and this idea of these um, digital twins. Can you talk about the benefits of being able to test and validate these processes before actually having to switch a machine on? Yeah, so the, the kind of most obvious thing is not even necessarily to test the process, but just to have um, some knowledge of the capability of the equipment so you can select technology. You know, it's like, I mean, look, look around you. There's, what, 30 providers of um, metal additive manufacturing machines here. Where do you start? So, so that's one opportunity is to help make choices about technology selection. Um, but the kind of other opportunities are the same as those of simulation, just a bit, you know, pumped up, maybe on steroids. So you can, for instance, in additive manufacturing, you currently have to normally repeat the build, design build process a few times. I think I read in Vollers that the, a guy from GE Additive said at least three times, but in our experience it can be more. Um, so how can you reduce the number of iterations you have to go through? You know, you really want to be able to print right first time. Um, and then when you're trying to validate your process, the current route is to do a massive design of experiments where you might have to print the part 100 times using different parameters. And that's extremely expensive. You're talking about millions of pounds, potentially, if you want kind of aerospace pedigree data. And so you can use machine learning and simulation to kind of select within that design of experiments, reduce the amount of waste testing that you do. And Stephanie, is GE looking at anything like that, this idea of sort of validating these processes beforehand? Yeah, so one of the critical things that we do on the design team is we try to leverage simulation software. So GE recently acquired Geonics, which does additive build simulation. So we're working on building up that material database and the capabilities, but it's really great to give you um, predictive builds. It tells you where you might have areas of distortion, areas that are at risk for cracking or delamination from the supports. The more trials you do and the more database history we get behind it, the better your chance of the first time yield. I would say that three to five times for a successful build is, is not uncommon. We do a lot of times what we call FastWorks builds, where we take a critical section of the geometry. So instead of printing a full part, we'll take a critical section, build it, measure it. Does it meet 
uh, the intent? Does it meet the drawing requirements that we need it to meet? Uh, did the feature build, did a feature grow into the recoder and cause a build crash? So we'll try to pre-identify um, build issues or build failures without having to sacrifice a full geometry build, but the upfront simulation would significantly reduce that work. Stefani, I have another question for you. So GE offers concept laser M-line factory and modular machine architecture that brings up production and dismantling processes. Do you think that you will see a growth in these types of, of technologies and, and prototypes? Absolutely. Every customer that we talk to is hungry for the M-line factory. I'm hungry for the M-line factory to be released so our team can start using it. Uh, one of the benefits of it is it's prime for true additive manufacturing, having some sort of a volume of manufacturing such that you can be, establish your factory to all the Lean and Six Sigma concepts. It can be enabled with Predict software that helps populate your data lake for analytical and self-correcting actions, but it's also really complementary with automation so that you really reduce some of your labor and cost that goes into the um, printing process today that makes it more attractive for additional users. So this is a little bit about data traceability. Um, so it's one of the, the most required components of a smart factory. So can you please speak about how that can be implemented? Katie, what about you? You're looking at how to, to sort of utilize data and feed it back into the process. Yeah, so um, at MTC, we've been working with like uh, data and data flows uh, for the last uh, five years-ish. And my background is actually inspection. So we've got an area of research called computer-aided quality, and we're interested in how uh, stuff from the design, the CAD, goes all the way through the process chain, is inspected against, and you have that kind of traceability. Now, at the moment, you've got kind of old-fashioned geometric dimensions and tolerances, which are very appropriate for components that are manufactured by machining routes, prismatic geometries, but it's we don't really have tolerances that work as well for additive manufacturing components that can be free flow. And then there's a question about how, even if you did, you'd, you'd follow those through the process chain because it's, it's just quite a different paradigm. The thing that I get most excited about is that like the, the current kind of tolerances and, and ways of defining the part are all kind of surface-based. But with additive manufacturing, you could move to a situation where you defined or specified every single voxel, every cube within the component. And you could have traceability from the design and the specification of that cube through monitoring on the build to inspection by, say, computer tomography or x-ray and all the way through the life of the component, you know, down to the micro scale. That's kind of slightly mind-blowing because you think, well, how do I deal with that from a design and lifing perspective? But it's quite exciting. Katie, earlier on you spoke a little bit about digital skills and I want to get your view on how we can maintain the workforce in particular around upskilling and education. So the, the National Centre, the UK's National Centre, has actually just launched its first apprenticeship in additive manufacturing. So we've got 10 uh, people who've come uh, from either A-level or GCSE, and they're going to be doing a, a three-year apprenticeship in additive manufacturing. So that is very exciting. Um, we're, we've also got a series of courses, which is sport industry in additive manufacturing. Um, but what I think is kind of really interesting is really the fact that it's additive and digital together, those two things drive us towards like 
kind of a less conventional training experience, I suppose. So what we really need are people who are creative and multidisciplinary, so they understand like how to do connectivity with machines and you know they get and, but they they're also very adaptable. So within the courses that we're developing at the moment, we're beginning to think a lot about how we can give them practical and project-based learning with kind of like flight simulator type scenarios rather than just an old-fashioned course because our worry is is that if we just like PowerPoint them to death, they, they won't learn how to be adaptable and creative as engineers and, and that's one of the things we think is very important. Thank you, Katie. Regan, this one's for you. You're an apprenticeship. Tell me about your experiences uh, and an apprenticeship and how we can encourage more young women into career pathways through apprenticeship programs. I think apprenticeships are definitely a way forward and a way to go because you're learning but you're earning at the same time. I am, I've, with LPW I've grown a lot with confidence and learning a lot. I've got, with a, when I've been at LPW on my apprenticeship I've been through all the different departments I am, so our apprenticeship scheme we do six months in the main departments which gives us an understanding of why why we're doing it and what, what we're doing. Um, yeah, I think if you asked me to do this last year, I, there was no chance I could have done this last year. But being out in the industry and being learning every day and getting to know people, being in that work environment, especially being a woman in this environment, I have definitely grown and I will continue to grow and I think apprenticeships are definitely the way to go and we should be trying to educate more women. Like with my story, I'm not your typical girl who goes into engineering like you were saying earlier. It's mainly geeky girls that go into it, but it's not just. <laughs> Stephanie, can we ask you that question as well and what your experiences of uh, career pathways into technology over in the States? So I don't know that we have anything quite as equivalent to the apprenticeship programs. Um, locally, we do a lot of volunteer work through um, the Year of the Girl is a program that we have in the Cincinnati area and a lot of STEM events where people from our teams that are into additive manufacturing go to the local schools and teach kids about what is 3D printing, why should they be excited about it, how could they be users of the technology. Um, we've donated a lot of the FDM type polymer printers to some of the local uh, schools and MLab printers to some of the universities uh, throughout the US to help accelerate that type of adoption. We've been working with some universities as well of putting together different curriculum and coursework to make designing for additive manufacturing a certified degree or an accredited degree that you could get through the university. Um, still a lot more work to, to go on that. I think maybe the last thing that we do is we very much encourage students while they're in college to do co-ops or internships with big industry partners. Anybody who has any sort of desire to work in 3D printing um, can be offered the opportunity to do a co-op with us and they can work in the 3D printing group and get that real hands-on um, application and experience uh, that might be complementary to whatever their major might be. 
And just and to um, keep on that topic of the workforce, of course, a major part of the smart factories is this idea of automation. And there is this kind of fear of automation on the workforce and robots taking over your jobs. And what do you kind of say to, to counteract those fears for people coming into the industry or people in the industry that are worried about that displacing them? I think that automation is complementary to jobs and doesn't necessarily replace jobs. When we think about the car, the first time the car came out, it was very much a manual process that people had to build and assemble these cars. And then came the automated car production. Did that necessarily destroy our manufacturing industry and our labor force? It changed the skills that were required and some of the roles and responsibility, but if anything, it just augmented the manufacturing workforce. So it didn't necessarily replace jobs. I think that it's an addition to it and maybe an opportunity for new types of jobs. I think the same would be applied for, for additive. I think it probably did displace jobs, you know, automation. So if I think about like cotton make it like that is a story, isn't it? You've got lots and lots of people, highly manual processes, and then and then it, jobs are displaced. But I don't think additive and the additive factory will displace jobs. So UK manufacturing is already highly automated, and machine operators, their jobs are already quite skilled. Um, and you know, so machining is is automated. So I don't think that's an issue. I think digital manufacturing generally, or the opportunity of digitization, is to automate things that um, engineers, so people with degrees, do, um, and like professional engineers do. So th there's the potential there that you know, 30% of the work that people do in aerospace, for example, which is like really transactional. Uh, perhaps materials data handling, that could be automated. But these people, in theory, are quite clever. And um, the opportunity is amazing because we've got a massive skill shortage. Those people are bored doing those transactional type jobs and they make them unhappy. And so that time, that 30% of time for us to be more productive and more creative and more innovative is just a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually think it's a big threat for engineering. I think it's a big threat if you're a lawyer, to be honest. <laughs> like paralegals, they're out there. So. Um, so, as in any manufacturing, um, safety is, of course, paramount. How are smart features helping to make these environments more safe? And, of course, LPW is a, is a big part of that. Yeah, so working with powder, is there's a, a lot of safety around it, I am, especially when it comes to the hoppers and decanting. I am, so, moving powder from one pot to another. But with the, smart ho with the hoppers that we've got now and the technologies, this is a lot safer on our engineers. They're not inhaling as much powder as they would be because we've got the technology now that's gonna take powder from one hopper and put it straight into another. So no one's gonna be inhaling that powder. We're also, we're safer for the environment. We're being environmentally friendly because we're not using as much, much plastic and our hoppers are re totally recyclable as well. I think Reagan hit on it in that you can minimize human exposure to harmful powders that are known carcinogens or could be dangerous to you if not handled, handled properly, replacing that type of interaction with a robot. And it can be self-contained into a room that minimizes our exposure, helps increase that safety factor. 
And then when you think about making the machines smarter such that they can stop a build if there's some sort of critical failure, if it runs out of gas, it automatically stops so you don't have anything explosive happen or anything like that. I think these all contribute to improved safety within that of manufacturing. Okay. And I think we're just moving on to, to the last question now before we open it up to everybody else. Um, we know that additive manufacturing is becoming a viable method for production. You can see it all around the TCT show floor. So do you think that these better connected smart processes are going to help us optimize that process to get us to production even faster? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> if it doesn't, it would just be a massive missed opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, AI and, and yeah, it's all coming on a pace and additive, they're like next to one another. But if additive is matured without taking advantage of those other things, it would just be a ridiculous missed opportunity, I think. I think additive in and of itself is a smart technology and needs to be developed more um, to work closer with some of those other technologies that are kind of coming up next to them. And like, like Katie said, it's a massive miss, missed opportunity if they don't marry together to create the, the ultimate smart factory.